Hi again, everybody. I'm Duke Kip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork, the Five Good Questions podcast. And as we draw to the close of 2022, we thought it would be fun to maybe take a different approach with the last uh, few episodes. Uh, as you know, if you listen to the show, if you listen to the first 27 episodes and heard our first 27 guests, we always pose the, the same last question. The exit question is, what do you see coming uh, down the road? What the future may hold for Asia's food systems and maybe in the light of something positive, whether it be technology development or something um, that may be realized in the, in the future that will be positive result for Asia. So we thought it'd be fun to take a compilation uh, look at that. So each of these episodes you'll be listening to, to close the year, we'll hear from uh, those various guests and, and their insights on what the future may hold. So sit back, relax, uh, enjoy this compilation again of our previous guests. And, and again, from all of us here at uh, Asia's Farm Report, five good questions. Happy holidays to everyone. I look forward to continuing the conversation in 2023. Yeah, no, unfortunately, look, I don't have a crystal ball here in my home to, to tell you how <laughs> 10 years will be. Uh, and I probably see what you see and everyone sees, right? I, I, what, what I see, a very growing uh, interest uh, uh, on topics like precision farming, use of drones, using of farmer sensors, the topic of human farming as well, very uh, growing exponentially in, in, in Asia, use of blockchain to food traceability. So many things are, are happening today. Yeah? One big thing that is happening is definitely the, the development of alternative protein sources like cell culture meat or other, other possibilities. Asia seems to be catching up very quickly, not only from the production perspective, but also consumption as well. Every, everywhere you go, at least from Singapore, you, you, you find those alternatives already. Yeah? So I think in 10 years, Asia will likely be a, a leading region in this area. That was Gustavo Palarosi Carnero with BASF. Next up, Delissa Jiang with CropLife Asia. This Industrial Revolution 4.0 or digital revolution that we call began about 10 years ago and it became the talk of the town maybe five years, five years back. Um, but being called a revolution, five to 10 years is a very short time, meaning that we are only at the beginning and I think we can regard what we see today as just the tip of the iceberg. I think we can expect people to start to grasp digital technologies better in the next few years and for fuller-fledged development to accelerate in the next 10 years. Asia also has had the benefit of this revolution to be able to leapfrog and tap into the benefits more quickly than other regions in the world. And agriculture has also been one of the biggest beneficiaries of these technologies. So eventually, now that we're at the beginning, people are still unfamiliar, but I think greater infrastructure will be developed, such as 5G, to support these technologies. And at the same time, consumers are going to become more confident on using these technologies and, and with that also become more affordable. And so I think with all, all of that happening for agriculture, we can see greater precision, greater productivity and greater quality control uh, throughout the food supply chain. But when we also talk about this long-term vision, I think that environmental sustainability cannot be ignored. Sustainability, as the word itself would suggest, is a long-term endeavor, and it demands that we begin from now to see the fruits of our labor in the next 10 years. And this 10-year trajectory that we talk about 
would be towards 2030. And that also coincides with the United Nations desire to fulfill the Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs. And so for that reason, I think it's important that we employ our creativity and leverage this digital trend that is poised to grow, that we know will grow in the next 10 years and channel them into sustainability goals, knowing that these goals require very consistent, long-term efforts to reap its benefits. That was Delissa Jiang with CropLife Asia. Now we hear from Tamina Favani Sharif, then with IRI, International Rice Research Institute. We have to reorient agriculture um, and we have to reorient it in a way that it has to move from this notion of just producing cheap food um, and, and high yields to actually enabling healthy diets. Um, and I think that's a really fundamental mind shift. Um, we need to think about not just delivering more food for individuals across the world, but also our aim has to be about delivering a healthy plate for every meal, for every day, for every person. Sustainable food value chains can really drive that transformation and that mindset and shifting from this idea of being calorie rich um, to actually being nutrition rich, um, but also preserving all of our natural resources and conserving them, right? And so producing that nutrition rich plate of food within our environmental boundaries and within the boundaries of, of this planet. Um, and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the UN Food Systems Summit. The collation of all of this input over the last two years of, of um, consultation, bringing that together, and then really seeing the countries, the food producing countries, and also um, you know food consuming countries, which we all are, um, coming together and really thinking about how do we fundamentally transform some of these food systems across the globe in order to deliver that healthy plate for every single person. And we know that it's possible. We know that we have enough resources and enough innovations in the world. We just have to have the human will to, to do that. So, so if I was to wish for one thing going into the future, it's that we begin to understand that we're all in this together and we have to have that human will to be able to feed every person um, in a healthful way. That was Tamina Lelani Sharif with Erie. Now we hear from Jens Hartman with Bayer. Um, the key to future of farming in Asia Pacific, and actually not in Asia Pacific only, across the world is going to be digital. Because um, digital is really at, I would say, it's a sweet spot of, on the one hand side, um, um, having your, your innovative solutions, um, and I talked about crop protection and, and, and seeds before. Um, on, the, on the other hand side, you have the whole, the whole area of, of data, giving you more the, the um, guided decisions, so to say, how, how to do, how to do um, agriculture. And last but not least, it really provides you with the opportunity to address the, the challenge of, of reach and scalability. Um, of, of how do we manage to, to get to, to the smallholder farmers to as many as we can, where we all as, as organizations in the past realized that um, there is a challenge of, of scalability and that uh, we are just not able to, to have a broad impact due to the nature of the fragmentation and the, um, our, our limitation to, to, to broaden our organization as, as much as we wanted to. So 
So really, um, for me, the game changer in ACT um, across the geography over here in Asia Pacific is digital addressing addressing the challenges. Uh, on the other hand side, also providing fantastic new um, opportunities for a, a changing farming um, community. You, you, um, we are all aware of of the the um, the, the aging farm farming dynamics and the challenge of us needing to also make farming more attractive and and more interesting for a completely different different um, generation um, being interested in going to farming and um, yeah and and as I said before that's that's for me the the, the super super enabler so to say to address everything what we talked about before we talked about the challenges of biodiversity in biodiversity we talked about the challenges in water consumption we talked about the challenges um, during during situations such as we have in COVID right now um, and and digital will will um will be a key enabler to address those and and us as a company we have um over the last um year year and a half made substantial progress also with regard to to our strategic agenda in that area uh, we formed a digital incubator um, we're looking at at testing um innovative new digital capabilities to address really the the key key pain points of of smallholder farmers we look at at unique cooperations with with players along the value chain um, who have like-minded objectives in addressing smallholder needs. So I, I really think that digital is going to be the answer, and I'm also very very confident that that um, key companies being active in the field, being being active in in innovation, being serious about um, the, the the sustainability um, are going to drive this agenda forward very strongly. That was Jens Hartmann from Bayer. Now we hear from Susanna Hasenhorl, then of Yara International. What I wish for the future is, is actually a greater appreciation of, of, of the food uh, that we eat and, and also all the hard work that especially the smallholders of, of this world here in Asia and also other parts of the world put in. Um, to, to provide us with, with all the necessary nutrients and, and, and nutrition um, that we need. There's an awful lot of wasted, um, the estimations vary, 30-40% of the food being wasted, whether it's on the way uh, from the farmers to consumers or in shops, restaurants, and um, there's a really big environmental and opportunity cost with this. And I, I, I think that in, in many parts of the world, food being so readily available in all different shapes and forms at any time of the day, anywhere, it has led to this kind of lack of appreciation of what this all actually means in terms of how much effort and resources it takes to produce food. So, so what I really wish for... And, and perhaps when the COVID is over, more people would have a chance to visit farms, uh, whether it's, you know, very more, very progressive vertical uh, farms here in, in Singapore or otherwise, and, and to kind of experience and, and see themselves what it really all, all means to produce all these foods, um, you know, more local uh, options available as well, which often would be healthier at, at higher quality, I, I think that moving forward, unfortunately, we will face uh, significant um, food security issues, very turbulent global markets. Um, not all foods will be available at any time at the cost that we would like. 
And um, but I think this might have a, a positive effect in um, on our appreciation of food and, and nutrition. That was Susanna Hossenhorl, then from Yara International. Next up, Dr. Glenn Gregorio from Circa. Eric, I always look on the positive side because of this uh, health pandemic. We have people, the government, the public, the public, the private sector starts to realize the importance of food. And now they start studying where the food is coming from and they become very interested in the food. And that is where transformation will come in the government. The policymakers are very receptive to any innovation you want because, because of the pandemic. We, we realize the importance of food. Even our children start to realize the importance of food. So uh, because of this, I could see we could now do the innovations we want, especially from us, from the academy. And we, I, I could see the establishment of the local food baskets will differently uh, transcend the pandemic. Uh, at the same time, the urban agriculture will be there. Many people now, because they realize that logistics, their food is coming from very far, they start to have their local food security, local and even the provincial level up to the national level. So they want to have, even in the community level, they want, even from the home level, they start to have this uh, community pantry. They have to have a secure community pantry within them. So urban agriculture, even from the cities, they start to, to realize this. On the higher level, on the ASEAN integration, we also play an important role for ensuring the free flow of goods and services within the region. So the policy of not hindering, but there should be an enabling for the different governments to the free flow of food within the region. So within that, uh, that's my uh, crystal ball that I could see now that everyone is now uh, going into food the food system will now be more visible and the, um, the government is now more receptive to fund research at the same time, anything about food production and uh, distribution. That was Dr. Glenn Gregorio from Circa. Next up, Dr. Maha Arjanan from ISA and Maybik. I think alternative proteins True uh, precision fermentation will play a huge role and this will uh, even change the way we look at food. And uh, as I said, food security is not just about having enough food, but also making sure it's sustainably produced. And this is where uh, precision uh, fermentation and producing plant-based meat or lab made um, meat through cell culture is going to be, um, it's, it's going to change the landscape looking at the past experience from genetic modification and uh, other new technologies, we need to create awareness on this. So if we really nurture this, uh, it's going to solve a lot of problems. It's going to give opportunities for graduates to have jobs in biotechnology. It's going to produce food in a sustainable manner. It's going to provide high quality meat and it's going to solve the animal welfare issues that we have. So I really, I'm very excited to see how this is going to move and I will really support this technology. That was Dr. Maha Arjanan from ISA and Maybik. Next up, Dr. Shanghee Tan from CropLife Asia. I think, uh, again, this is a golden opportunity because um, what we're seeing today with the intervention of government, we are seeing a lot of rescaling or upscaling of land 
by consolidation. Um, governments are promoting younger generations of uh, farmers to come in, which are much more adapted to um, digital agriculture, much more adapted to looking at science and technology for agriculture use. Over the last six months you know, during COVID, you see exponential growth in terms of urban culture. So the, the whole context of agriculture is changing rapidly. And then again, going back to the whole piece of the food system, we were going to see a, a tremendous momentum and hopefully much more um, commitment by various stakeholders to really uplift the whole agriculture space. But the piece is the regulators together with the government needs to move much more rapidly in tandem with the technology space because it's very uneven. If that continues to go on, the end point is the farmers will also continue to suffer because technology develops much quicker, but adoption will not be at pace, number one. Number two is we really need people to look at they are technology early adopters. By having a quantum leap in terms of early adopters, we can reduce the price tremendously for the secondary and tertiary users to adopt the technology. So we need to bring down the cost to be much more scale neutral. Then the technology is already scale neutral in the sense you can use it for 0.5 hectare for drone example, or a hundred hectare for drone. But a lot of people have this tendency of, oh, let's wait till everyone can afford it. So this is not true. Every technology needs to be looked at in a sense, who are the early adopters? How can we bring down the cost so it becomes scale neutral? And only with that, we can have necessary impact on the ground for wider adoption throughout the value chain. That was Dr. Shanghee Tan from CropLife Asia. Now we hear from Jolene Lum, then from Urban Tiller. Yeah, I think a big step forward is definitely going to be in the way how retailers and merchants sell food. Um, that's that's the big one for me, um, be it with alternative protein, be it with plant-based food, be it with fresh produce. Um, I think so much of consumer choice comes from, yeah, okay, I, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this, it's interesting to me. Um, but there's, there's a process of curation, um, which then reconnects the consumer to an experience that, that is more emotional and more personal than that. Food is supposed to be emotional. Um, and I think with the rise of post-pandemic sort of e-commerce booms, um, supermarkets being more and more depersonalized. Um, I think there's a lot of value in the next 10 years to actually start having producers, retailers and merchants to play a part in telling that story, getting people to understand the full story behind their food, um, the cost of production, the real cost and human cost that goes behind production. And I think that will be a far more constructive way to move forward. Um, I think it's difficult to ask consumers to ask their merchants to be accountable, right? Of course, being in the business, I would, I have no qualms about walking up to a retailer and going, who, who, how many middle people um, handled this stuff before it's even here for me to buy at your store, right? But I, I don't think it comes from the ground up that easily with everybody. But if, if retailers and merchants are able to create value for themselves by telling that story better, being more transparent, uh, being able to show up and go like, hey, I actually have traceability, right? And this traceability helps you understand um, not just the cost that goes into growing your food, how it's being handled, how much waste, carbon emissions, all of these things, which are, which are difficult to do because no one's done it yet. 
right? If no one's done it yet, consumers don't demand it, um, then there's no value created, right? Like, for example, for my vegetables, no one asks me, hey, could you prove um, where it comes from, traceability, or even how fresh is it? What time was it harvested? And I can say, yeah, you know, I have tech ready to, to build in a blockchain system to show you exactly where it was. But I'm like, how much are you willing to pay for it? Right. Um, how much more are you willing to pay for that to make your bok choy just 50 cents more expensive? Um, are my farmers willing to put in that effort to sort of like look, scan a QR code and make sure that that's going to happen? Um, there's no monetary exchange in terms of creating that storytelling. And I really hope that in the next 10 years that the younger generation gets interested in that, um, not just the nuts and bolts of, of getting things from one place to another, uh, but being able to engage the consumer in more creative experiences. And I think that's what's going to set new age businesses apart from supermarkets, from Amazon, um, from the, the giants in the market who are just trading, trading food in ways that they, they like, um, but being able to create a more personal experience with food. That was Jolene Lum, then from Urban Tiller. Next, we hear from Dr. Paul Tang with NTU's RSIS. I think that there will be increased awareness by consumers okay, of the importance to have food that is produced sustainably using farming systems with low environmental impact and also low contribution to greenhouse gases. And this will drive governments and the private sector and farmers to adopt farming techniques, which can help fulfill these expectations. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another Five Good Questions interview.